Yo, what is up guys? Welcome to Dissecting the Markets. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Akshay. Akshay has years of experience on Wall Street, from studying his bachelor's in India to completing his master's in America. Akshay has known the game. He knows how to break into Wall Street. Now, for those of you that are students aspiring to work on Wall Street, whether you want to be an investment banker, a data analyst at Goldman Sachs, or just want to work on Wall Street in general, well, you might want to tune in to this episode. Now, before we get started, please listen to our sponsor. Now, before we get started, know that this podcast is not financial advice. All content should be considered opinionated and Okay, Akshay, welcome to Dissecting the Markets. How are you doing today? I'm doing thanks. Thank you for calling me on your show. Thank you for um, your interest. So, Akshay, um, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a master's in business analytics graduate from University of Colorado, Denver. I presently work on Wall Street as a business analyst with one of the uh, taxation firms. We do uh, tax reclamation on overwithheld taxes on international dividends. Now, that might sound a really bigger part of the picture, but it's just a part of the financial services that comes after an investment is made and dividends are paid off and taxes are deducted, if that makes sense. So when you talk about international dividends, um, could you explain more to our audience? Because some people might think that you're investing in international stocks and dividends. Others might have another idea. So what does international dividend mean? Of course. So international dividend is any security that you purchase. For example, I am uh, in the U.S. I purchase a stock for Nestle Switzerland, and then Nestle pays out a dividend, and that dividend will be considered as an international dividend for me. And the Swiss government or their tax authorities will deduct some tax when the U.S. investor gets the tax, uh, the remaining net amount in their hands, they will by the U.S. government. But because of the existing treaties between two countries, double taxation treaties, there will be only one single percentage of tax deducted. So if you get the logic behind it, there will be some overwithheld tax with the Swiss authorities or with Nestle. So that is what we help the eligible investors claim back. That's really interesting. Um, so let's say I invest in like Royal Dutch Shell, for example, and um, the government there, um, you know, takes a portion of my dividends, like in the form of taxes. So you guys help me get that money back or do you help me get the money back from the U.S. government? So the money could be spread out in different places. For example, it could be with Royal Dutch Shell. It could be with some of their custodians, like one of these major banks. Uh, or it could be with the tax authorities or uh, in any of these intermediaries or agents. So that will be a whole lot of money. Let's say 30% might be deducted on your dividend. And you get that 30%, 70% of that. Over that 70, let's say you have $100 invested, 30 is taken by the uh, authorities there. You get 70 in your hand. And let's say you get you pay additional 
more $10 or something to the U.S. authorities because that's income in your hands. So what they would do is, but it is given that only 20% should be deducted, for example, between a U.S. investor and Royal Dutch investor. So that's why the remaining difference, like 20 and you paid 40 overall. So remaining 20 is what you will get back. Mm, interesting. So basically, so wait, so you pay $40 in taxes and you get $20 back? Uh, yeah, so out of those 40, you get 20 back. That is really interesting. <laughs> so um, I'm curious, though. So I remember seeing your application. You also mentioned that you were in data analytics. That's correct. So, like, how did you apply data analytics into um, Wall Street? Uh, yeah, so moving from Colorado to New York City was definitely – uh, a, a bigger move from, you can imagine, moving from Midwest to the East Coast, having your uh, skills of networking, knowing a few people, and then just being able to understand the market, understanding do you have the right skills, what all do you need to develop, and uh, what all is possible in a given time frame. But being on Wall Street, I work with internal data as well as external with tools like Salesforce, Tableau, uh, sometimes it's Power BI. Excel is definitely always in the background. Uh, so far, we work with a lot of portfolios in terms of, hey, investor, how much money can you get back? Let me check. So our sales team go out, they bring in the the portfolios, and my job is to analyze that, give, give it back to the salespeople who convey it to the client it, uh, eventually that we can get you these many dollars in reclaim amounts. Apart from that, it's a little also about internal operations as to what's our current capacity, uh, what can we improve, the the problems that our products might be facing, or developing things like that. Interesting. And um, so do you also deal with, like, high-frequency trading by any chance or not? Uh, so at this moment we don't because this is mostly uh, a job that is that comes after the trade has been made and the money has been distributed. So it's uh, more or less a high frequency job, I would say. Uh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and with data analytics, so which which um, what skill or knowledge do you use more of? Um, computer science. Um, business like accounting finance like what skill or knowledge did you apply the most uh yes a uh, part of my job is related to data science in which we have these uh, huge data sets in terms of different number of shares invested in different countries uh and invested by different types of entity it could be a pension a uh, taxable entity a charity a partnership a hedge fund, or a combination of any of these things. So trying to sort this data out, data science helps me in that. I, the tools I use is mainly R or Python for that, mm. uh, using a few basic models, and then eventually uh, putting all of this output in an Excel spreadsheet to help everyone understand uh, what went behind the screen. Uh, that's something I started with initially. Apart from that, I do use... Power BI a lot in order to plot data visually. Uh, that's more helpful for planning, budgeting, marketing, uh, just tracking our own progress in every possible way. 
Interesting. Um, and you also mentioned like that you were also a business analyst and a hand handwriting analyst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So I got into handwriting analysis uh, almost three to four years ago. Uh, it was pretty great. It's also called as graphology because what eventually happens is any time that you write something with your hand, you your subconscious mind is also sending some signals, nerve signals through your hand when you write. So if you see your own handwriting when you were a kid, maybe when you were like maybe let's say 10 years ago, five years ago, there will be different patterns that keep on changing. So what happens is that your subconscious mind is forming a few patterns that come out as a graph through your handwriting. And that is what called as graphology, the science of reading this graph. Uh, a basic idea behind this is your, uh, if you change your thoughts, your handwriting will change. And if you change your handwriting, your thoughts will change. So working in this uh, connection with your brain and whatever you write, looking at the signature, uh, I am able to tell people about their strengths, weaknesses, uh, their personality type or characteristics of their personality, their relations uh, with their parents, with their close people, uh, with their connections, their network, uh, their health sometimes, uh, a lot of things like that, just by their handwriting. So um, if I'm getting this right, so you mainly um, focus on analyzing people's handwriting. Uh, no, my daily job is as a business analyst. Handwriting analysis is something that I do as I started it as my hobby, but now it's becoming like my, uh, I would say, a side profession for which I'm also building a website to help students in terms of finding the courses that are right for them, helping them uh, apply to universities abroad, providing them with suitable mentors and helping them highlight their key skills. So um, I know that, like, a lot of work on, like, you know, around the world, especially with the digital age, would be, like, you know, working through a computer. But I'm actually surprised that there are still, like, handwriting analysts, you'd say. Um, uh, would you say the work is, like, um, less efficient, or is it, like, a new, growing, and innovative um, trend? Uh, so, handwriting analysis is, analysis is something that you wouldn't find uh, just, you know, out on the street. It's a very rare art. It's a pseudoscience, let me put it that way, uh, which is helpful in order to know more about an individual and the problems they might be facing. Uh, apart from that, even though we are in the digital age, as if, if we don't use our uh, physical hand enough to write few things down to talk about to it's kind of an expression that we put on paper uh, gratification of our thoughts could be negative and positive but if you see a lot of people uh, putting on different kinds of uh, paints all over uh, graffiti people who like to write on benches who just carve out their names on trees everything like that that is all a part of expression because it has been suppressed. Some thoughts have been suppressed over a long period of time uh, and it can come out in a good way or a bad way, but that's what's coming out in front of us in these formats. 
so being digital does not does not necessarily mean being more intellectual or more productive but it's a, like it goes in a way that writing things down is a natural habit that we started it's a healthy habit as well and not only the interpretation of what we write is helpful but expression of thoughts coming through our own handwriting that physical activity is more important interesting and um so as a business analyst um uh did you work on the same firm at the same firm you did working as um a data analyst uh so the current place i'm working as is a business analyst before this i was uh, a data analyst as well at the denver international airport oh interesting and um so tell us more about the business analyst thing like um what is something that you guys um know that many people don't when it comes to like business for example uh one thing that uh has helped me a lot or that i've observed in my work or around me is about having a business knowledge and then combining data or your technology skills to it for example i'm analyzing some data maybe it's a profit and loss statement or any bank account statement and maybe when i'm doing my code or working on uh, the technical aspect of solving things i get to know that okay we have a net amount that's a negative number but if i don't have adequate business knowledge i would not know how should i interpret that number should i consider it as a loss should i consider that that amount has been given as a loan to somebody is it a debt uh, or things like that this is just one small example that comes in finance but if you see where data scientists apply their skills to different hospitals uh, airports or all sorts of industries which are not uh, so uh, rigid like there's scope for creativity but at the same time they have their uh, standard operating procedures when it comes to an airport for example you need to be more considerate about maybe the data i'm analyzing is only looking at revenue from these concessionaires on the airport however airport has parking they have uh, different utilities different passenger movement different types of uh, modes of transportation are we getting revenue from there so if you are given data you can analyze it like a machine itself sometimes people can just go on writing a code they are pretty professional and really uh, beyond average who can just give a model but if that's not combined with business knowledge then it is just human hours putting in the work and giving out a model but not understanding the bigger picture interesting so um so i'm curious so regarding the data sets um do you um how do i say this like where where do you get the data sets from like do you um do you get access to like company uh data or um... uh, no so that's a good question actually so whatever systems that are in build for any organization everything will generate data for a financial firm their servers which have uh, information coming in their operations team might receive some documents that will be documented at every stage that will be put it into uh, data structures or databases of different kind which can then be pulled using languages like sql or amazon uh, cloud services just to know that that's where data has been received and then it can be retrieved in different ways 
for a manufacturing company it could be uh like more of a numerical data in terms of uh how many hours was the machine machine going on for or uh for how many uh products did we have a list of uh, products that can be used or products that are uh, by products leftovers or raw material and all sorts of usage for some service industry it could also be in terms of knowing uh how did our relation management people do on a particular deal or maybe we signed up a client a year ago and are we doing good are we increasing our wallet or not things like that so data could be subjective or objective meaning qualitative or quantitative and depending on what kind of data it is we choose those tools those uh, languages of machine learning techniques and that's how we get from data sets to algorithms interesting um well it's going to say okay so regarding um so your credentials you say um do so you have a so what degree did you have again i have a master of science in business analytics mhm and uh oh okay and from there um so after your masters you jump to wall street right um uh, what about bachelors um did you also were you able to go to wall street after your bachelors or not uh so my bachelors was different i am from india so i did a bachelors in accounting and finance also known as bachelors in commerce with a specialization in finance uh my curriculum dealt with uh, finance auditing accounting taxation uh strategy business management uh and economics so keeping all these things in mind i eventually wanted to uh come to the us for gaining my masters degree also let's say getting out of the comfort zone getting more exposure to uh to a different lifestyle to a different culture and also more people in my network so getting all these things together moving from a bachelor's to uh a masters and then when i came from accounting and finance background i joined business analytics so it was a little overwhelming in the beginning given the hardcore technology uh stuff that is being done in classrooms but uh my university was pretty uh, helpful all the professors were pretty helpful in terms of navigating my way through learning things from scratch from the basics uh, what do we need as foundation stay maybe statistics maybe a little bit about computing how to write a clean code things like that and that's how i transitioned myself from knowing the business stuff business side of uh, any company then understanding or gaining the skills to analyze loads of data and then now where i work i am able to combine both these things at the same time interesting and uh, what university um did you graduate from uh i graduated from university of colorado at denver oh interesting so so for a school that's um you know not like a so called target school how were you able to like um build a network to go into wall street yeah that's a great question actually so it started uh from quite a few years uh, i've been into networking with people uh, understanding what is the vibe in the market so it starts from being a good listener in terms of uh, maybe you're talking to someone and that person is a professor let's say and he rec- he refers to one of his 
friends or colleagues who is also working in a company. And if you are not able to pick the name of the person or of that company, uh, that means you're not being an attentive listener. You're not being a good listener. So it starts with being a good listener, talking to people, and getting to know that it's not always about asking for a job when you talk to somebody. We see a lot of people reaching out to uh, professionals on LinkedIn saying, hey, I am uh, so-and-so from this university graduating. Uh, would you refer me in your company? But uh, hey, take a step step back. And I didn't even know your name or I didn't even know you existed before today. So that's how people make mistakes these days. It's more about building relationships, getting to know the person, their role, trying to see that if that person is taking equal amount of interest in your background or getting to know you. And that happens when you start listening properly. Um, then I believe uh, whenever it comes to small occasions, you need to show your involvement in any discussion. Uh, don't only give orders to your groups if you're working in university or anywhere in your teams. Don't just order people around. Maybe ask questions like, let's go this way. What do you think if we choose this approach, this idea, or things like that. That helps in many ways uh, because this is like understanding dynamics of all different kind of people, their psychology, then making a small opinion about their background or where do they come from? Are they getting your point? Are they going to be happy after listening to you? Uh, all sorts of things like that. Uh, even if your suggestions, uh, if you're giving any suggestions, they should be happy suggestions. They should be actionable things, not something that is being said off rudely that, hey, you got to improve this. It's not going to work. Never use such negative words, negative language when you're trying to network. And last but not the least, you should always be honest and sincere whenever you appreciate anyone. It may not be always someone you're working with, but uh, for example, I used to see this person who would sell small plants and saplings by the roadside. And I would see every time in the morning, he would get all those plants on the curbside, arrange them, and when I came back from work, he would put them back inside the store. It was a pretty tedious job. Uh, but one day I felt like stopping by and just saying, hey, like you've been doing a lot of work. I see that every day and evening when I return. But really, hats off to you, man. You do it well. I didn't want anything from him, but I just wanted to sincerely appreciate him because I felt like it. So the intent should be really good. It should be honest and sincere. That's what I believe. And always know always have a list of people that you have on your network so like for example i always keep a list with me with geography people that i know on the west coast midwest and east coast let's say and who are those people when is everybody's birthday when are their anniversaries what kind of restaurant or food do they like this much of granularity is important when you actually want to show your involvement Interesting. So, um, you know, those are all great character traits. Um, and like when finding those people that could help you get on Wall Street, um, where did you um, get those connections? Like, did you get them from like campus recruiter? Did you go to like networking events? Like um, how? Uh, so I did do a lot of things that were organized by my university. Uh, networking events, having coffees with all these people who work at the big four and some of the startups in Denver. 
But something that really clicked was when I was working at the Denver International Airport, I met uh, with a colleague of mine. He was the director of revenue back then. And uh, later on, I, when I was talking to him, he mentioned a few strategies like having uh, a list of your own backgrounds, your qualification, let's say, and your experience, and then being able to match or map those things on the rules that you're looking for, and then backtracking all of this information into what kind of people work there or is there anyone in your contact. So first of all, having a LinkedIn page is really important for anyone who wants to network. It just gives access to a lot of people, a lot of people in all different industries, different sectors. Sometimes I feel that even before having uh, a social media account, someone should get on LinkedIn. It's that important these days. Uh, and then when you are on LinkedIn, you see someone works there, or maybe your mutual friend works there, and maybe some of their people, their friends work there. So all of the, these things, you need to map it on a piece of paper and take that in front of you, look at it every single day, and look at different aspects of approaching people. It may not always be uh, saying, hey, I'm a graduate student looking for a job. Yes, eventually everyone knows that. But can you share a piece of content with them like, hey, you work on the Wall Street. I read this article that play, came on uh, Bloomberg or whatever website you're looking at. Uh, what is your opinion about that? Put an open-ended question in front of them so that they get an opportunity to start talking to you, to build a conversation, have a good topic. It may not work every single time, but when it works, it will really open a lot of doors for you. And that's how you build relationships by giving a piece of content or just asking someone that, hey, I see you work at this startup. I really love the idea. Maybe I'm using a product which I really like. And if you need anyone looking to volunteer, I would like to sign up. People always think about how much money I'm going to get. But volunteering work is always helpful. I myself have worked on so many different jobs or different roles for free because I knew that that is an equity that I'm building for myself that eventually when that company grows or wherever I go, I have something valuable of an experience rather than how much money I made. Interesting. And uh, regarding startups, um, so you said you worked at them at like a couple for free, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So um, like what jobs did you do in those startups? Like what uh, yeah, one of my favorite place was Consolidon. Uh, it's a really big startup in the Middle East uh, based out of Dubai. That startup is a management consulting firm, which is connecting all boutique uh, consulting firms all over the globe with smaller clients across the globe, depending on their market size, so that some uh, consultant in Australia could help, let's say, a client in Europe or Canada just by being in their own respective geographical locations. Uh, so they, the consolidate the company, they built a platform for all these kind of interactions, signing up people and just building more equity. So that was one of the places where I worked as a financial analyst. My job was to look at the deals that were going around, what kind of uh, data that we had uh, I was pretty new to Tableau back then, but I, I didn't know anything about Tableau, but I made it a point to go and learn online with lots of resources lying around. And then I started gaining traction in terms of, okay, the data looks like this. These are the number of people that are out in the field. 
working so many hours every day and these many deals uh, they've closed with so and so amounts okay so what worked the most what did not work the most and then maybe being a math lover i started looking at okay so what are my top five deals with uh, the us dollar amounts or what are the last five deals with dollar amounts and then started developing intelligence in that own way keeping my own record that okay this worked for so and so person and then when i shared it with my colleague or my manager it it came out to be yeah this is what they were looking at and then they might use a different uh, technical term for it like data mining or some analysis but when you get started these are you, these are the things you look at different perspectives of looking also help uh, all keeping all these things in mind i was uh, really succeeding at that startup really interesting um so um what is it okay so here's what i was thinking so you know you had great experience at all these startups and all um you built great connections um, do you see yourself working in any of them? Uh, yes, of course. Over the last few months, I've been uh, really interested in a lot of startups. I, I'm also looking at a lot of venture capitals. It helps to understand uh, the ground reality of a startup by looking at who has funded them, uh, what kind of funding that was at what level, series A, B, C. Is the startup a unicorn? That means has it crossed a billion-dollar mark? then it's a unicorn. Uh, is it a global startup? What products do they have? Is the product a service or is the product like a physical product? Uh, and keeping all these things in my mind, uh, along with some of the perquisites, like maybe uh, for some people, they might consider free food, a lot of travel, uh, different perquisites. It's a combination of all these things. Uh, but choosing a startup wisely is also equally important given the background and uh, how new the startup is, who are its founders, how do they run the company. It gives a lot of insight in terms of the future of a startup. So, But I definitely see myself either working in a startup or starting my own for sure. And um, regarding, like, you know, finding startups to, like, you know, work at – sorry, to volunteer or work at, um, did you um, – so you also found these startups through like networking events, I'm assuming, or do you also have some other ways of? Um, yeah, uh, one way I would like to share with you all is be really attentive to the names that you read around yourself. Uh, networking events do help, uh, but they're pretty limited in terms of, let's say, 10 people from 10 different startups are attending that event. That means you might get to know only 10 or 11 names. But if you go online, there's so many resources. Don't make a lot of generic uh, searches that will give you a pool of information in which you get lost. But try to be more specific on who has the venture capital backed recently. Follow one or two websites. You will get to know, for example, Venture Pulse is a good newsletter that I like to follow. It gives me uh, a list of startups or latest news of startups all over the globe, either who raised money, who shut down, or a few tips on uh, what kind of a startup is considered uh, a stable startup or things like that. And when you go on these pages, you will start realizing that every startup has a page which says, okay, we are backed by, let's say, Index Ventures. 
what do you do after reading that you look at the name index ventures you look at the logo and you might think it's just a label but no click on it or google search index ventures you'll get to know uh, venture capital index ventures who are really uh, one of the bigger fishes in the market who are investing in startups like crazy these days and they might also mention on their website like we are investing in europe startups or european startups that gives you a sign that okay if i want to go get a job in europe you need to go and look at who all they are funding they will have a list of companies go to one of all of those companies and check their careers pages check their founders sometimes a startup may be just 10 people but it's a like multi million dollar startup so reaching out to people like those on linkedin is much more easier because uh, there's a chance that you might really get some attention uh, to your message or to your resume whatever you're sending through but look at these strategies don't be starting in terms of the face uh, don't take information at face value that okay this is a name i read that's all i know about it use google uh, generously so um i'm curious though would you rather work at a vc firm or at a startup <laughs> that's a, a really great question i don't have an answer to right now uh, but i believe to work in a vc venture you need to have a solid mastery or some sort of uh, really core experience in terms of what you're investing into because eventually it's all people's money it's also your own money so as long as you know the ins and outs of that industry or that given sector uh, i would not recommend anyone to be working for a venture capital if you're an, if you're an analyst there then that's okay but if being more of a decision maker requires expertise and skills uh, that's why being in a startup let's say digital payments i'm making things up so if you work in digital payments for a long time you'll get to know what happens before and after a payment platform is set up what are some of the nuances that come in and once you have this small expertise depending on whatever you feel comfortable is the tenure or duration of your work and exposure that you get i believe that it makes sense to moving to a bigger position in a venture capital firm interesting and um so i know like you know the vc partners and all they have like you know a bigger credibility risk you know in case they make the wrong decisions but um aren't uh, vc firms like don't they lock in their their investors so you know let's say they made a bad decision in like year 1 um they have probably like a few years before they could recoup back the investment. Mhm. Yeah, that always happens. They invest a decent amount of equity, they provide a lot of advisors to a startup who are going to be working very closely with the founders making sure they are avoiding all pitfalls. Um so they have uh, this kind of an arrangement I would say which gives them a trust of okay, I know where the startup is going. It might not be doing well. but at least it's not failing uh, apart from that they have invested a lot of money in assets maybe assets on behalf of the startup within the startup or externally as well so that's why it's all uh, um, a system of wealth generation by buying in certain amount of equity in a startup and then all the other rules of let's say mergers and acquisitions or exiting a market all these rules apply to a startup as well for example if a venture capital invested in a startup and that startup is failing 
they might sell the startup to somebody else or they might sell it in parts like departments uh because eventually it's an idea or a tangible product which again is based on an idea which is carrying a monetary value so as long as someone is able to make that idea run there are lots of different tests before a venture capital invest a litmus test and in terms of understanding the pitfalls of where your startup or your product might fail are you going on the right track so they have all these checks in place already oh okay um and also furthermore um what is your take on the we work fiasco like do you think um that was like already um seen the fail in the beginning or was it like something like how, how do you see the we work fiasco because people seem to associate it with like you know vcs being too greedy and all um Mm-hmm. Uh yeah for WeWork initially uh when you look at uh, any so WeWork technically is renting out real estate to other people and given the fluctuations in the real estate market uh how much amount can you make out of uh property or out of an asset that is land because it said that land is only supposed to appreciate but as long as you don't sell a piece of land it's just a value it's a book value or market value of that place it's only going to be realized only when you sell it so when you are going on buying places it also gives you a uh, a thought at the back of your mind that maybe it's not functioning tomorrow do I have do i have any people who are going to buy this piece of land or going to end the lease and trying to break this business model or being able to switch to a different model uh that is something that comes to my mind when i first think of uh, we work uh, but recently what i've been reading is they the the owners of we work are actually rethinking this strategy about this whole concept altogether and looking at the market and how they are going to do next steps or looking at their founders uh and their ideas is what will give a better picture i believe interesting but you know you mentioned about like all these um you know these requirements you know before you make like an investment as a vc and all um how was we were able to pass that um you know the standards mm, yeah initially when it starts i mean i believe softbank was their biggest investor and like i would say giving a valuation based on how much equity is a venture capital buying is one thing but once the startup takes off and they hire almost like a lot of employees they need to show some amount of credibility in terms of where they're going always innovation in terms of uh, being more creative may not only be the way being able to sustain is equally difficult for a startup So when we hear that they laid off almost 2400 employees last year uh it it gives a sense that okay something is wrong something is not going right and when they started delaying their IPO their initial public offering that started showing more signs of that okay it doesn't smell right so initially when a company starts it has a different platform altogether different scenario but once they take off uh when people start working together maybe the ceo the founders and all these people start working together and then they might figure out that okay their ideas don't match their 
their concepts are pretty different from one another. That's why they removed Adam Newman as the CEO as well. And I think that entire fiasco is just uh, going to be a good case study in MBA business schools pretty soon. Interesting. And, um, yeah, I will admit the WeWork thing, like, I feel like that's just, like, a sample of, like, what other companies might experience in the future, especially with the bubble going on in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So um, how about, like, other companies like um, Uber, um, where you have, like, the founder um, mistreating employees? Like, how do VCs even handle that? Like, do they tolerate it? Do they not? Uh, well, that's really a broader question. Uh, in my opinion, I believe that, of course, no one would tolerate uh, unnatural behavior like that. Sometimes it is, if you look at it this way, that if something happens with the the cab driver and a passenger, the level at which Uber functions actually functions is is their idea. They are providing cab services. But if one of their cab drivers, despite having a decent background check and all those sorts of things, is misbehaving, then it's not necessarily something Uber has done. Yes, they recruited that person, they they went wrong, but eventually the role at the part at the level at which this happened was at the cab driver's person, the level. So just because you burnt your finger does not necessarily mean you lose your arm, right? Mm-hmm. So thinking of that way, I believe that's how venture capitals try to adjust or uh, remodel a lot of things, bringing in more checks, uh, it, like putting in more security features and things like that. But I believe they wouldn't just withdraw all their money because even they want their returns. That is um, really interesting. Yeah, I I actually agree with your point on that. Um, so um, besides, so regarding networking tips, um, going back to it. So you mentioned like you know you know have coffee with them, you know be more attentive instead of like jumping the gun and asking for a job, build a relationship. Um, what other networking tips do you have? Uh, I would say just admit if you're wrong pretty easily and be the first one to admit your own mistake and admit as quickly as possible. A lot of people uh, take a lot of time in terms of, okay, was my mistake noticed by that person? Do I need to apologize? Or maybe then it'll be highlighted. Uh, but if you go either ways, just be humble about yourself and that, okay, accept it first of all. And if somebody else makes a mistake, don't uh, jump at that exact instance saying, hey, you went wrong. Avoid that phrase, you are wrong, your ideas are wrong, or things like that, because it's just pretty impolite. And if you build any relation, that's never going to help you. That's never going to take you anywhere. So that doesn't mean be artificial. But whatever it is, maybe a feedback, be pretty uh, considerate about other person's uh, phase of mind, situation, background, and things like that, which will just give you a better sense that, okay, maybe this is not the time to highlight his mistake or her mistake. And read a lot of great books as well by people like Dale Carnegie. 
especially the book that he wrote about how to win friends and influence people that has some decent strategies of talking to people or some examples of how things worked out for people when they were out there networking or just trying to build their own network and um Okay. Oh, that's really interesting. And um, for those that really like want to go into Wall Street, um, what would you say they should be doing starting now? Uh, starting now, they should gain as much information on the financial markets that they can. So understanding about stocks, funds, uh, and all the trading that goes around is a part of it. Of course, the financial services field is massive. Uh, there is like there are only a few people who understand it start to end but if you try to literally dissect the markets and get to know about okay what happens when a trade is going on what happens after uh, the shares get in the stocks get into everybody's respective accounts then there might be dividends uh, bonds might have different kind of interests then there might be taxation and then let's say one entire financial year goes around so thinking of things from an investor point of view and also from a company point of view, make sure you distinguish these two things whenever you're studying financial markets. Uh, it's really important because the perspective just changes a lot if you think from either ways. And then moving forward, start thinking about the balance sheet, the P&L statement, uh, or the income statement of a company. Understand what would go in a company's bank account or bank statement, or if the company itself is a bank, how might their balance sheet look like? They're all liabilities and assets. How will they reshuffle as compared to a regular company? So start thinking of all these things. I personally believe that when you are sitting in one place and giving a serious thought about, okay, why might this be the reason? Why might that be the reason? Going to this root cause analysis of everything will definitely help you gain more knowledge as well as it is just a good procedure, I believe, to learn anything new. So start from there. And whenever you go to Wall Street, just remember that Wall Street is just one of the great places to work. But there are cities like London, Mumbai, uh, Shanghai, and all these places equally which have greater financial exposure Finance is essential for every company that you go to. No one can ignore it. So as long as you're making uh, or gaining some knowledge every single day moving forward and then knowing how to leverage that knowledge with other skills, maybe data science, computer science, uh, or analytics related to different sectors or industries, tools, so many things. Just try to figure out what clicks you well what do you like? What are you passionate about? And then make your way slowly through this. Interesting. And um, how about um, learning to identify fraud? Like, will that also be a big thing? Or is that, like, not required? Uh, well, that is a specialization altogether. Companies sometimes hire third-party vendors to, uh, in, like, to figure out what's the like, risk of uh, fraud happening internally, externally on their servers. So that goes a little bit on the cybersecurity side of things, usually, uh, because it's related to technology, if we consider a organization or any company's perspective. But when it comes to internal stuff, we have audit checks in place. That's where all these big fours or CPAs, chartered accountants, 
come into picture when they are doing internal audit to see if the employees are uh, misappropriating amounts or uh, goods or any kinds of things like that. So audit is in place for that. Interesting. Um, and regarding like Wall Street, so as you say, like Wall Street is like a great place to work and all. Um, and like students need to, you know, learn a lot about business and stocks, like balance sheets to like, you know, like be knowledgeable about like what goes on in Wall Street. Um, I'm really curious though. So although Wall Street has like a business minded perspective, how come they seem to be open to companies that aren't profitable or companies that say they don't intend on becoming profitable? Uh, well, intending not to be profitable is uh, a way of saying that we don't put money before values. So eventually, even a not-for-profit organization would end up making some profits, but only because it's a not-for-profit organization, people would not be drawing salaries. They would be drawing membership fees or board fees, advisory fees. So it's never about that money is uh, not important. It is important, but it is a way of saying that values and uh, society or humanity, corporate social responsibility is important or primarily important. Interesting. And uh, do you think Wall Street will continue to be open to unprofitable startups? Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. I believe as long as a startup has an idea that's sustainable, uh, innovative, lucrative, and they have a plan, like a good exit plan as well, uh, then there, there's definitely a good chance for Wall Street to keep funding such people. Uh, but apart from that, the trading that Wall Street does, we, if you think from a macroeconomic perspective, it is so much important for the respective governments, for the global economy in general, because what I would recommend listeners to think about is, uh, let's take stock markets or let's focus on cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. If you see the price of Bitcoin uh, before and during or after the coronavirus that uh, was mentioned in the news, the prices started increasing for some reasons. Some of those stocks that people were following, they started increasing. It's trying to find correlation in things like these or uh, what we can say as the uh, microeconomic events or geographical, geopolitical events, and how do they lead to changing stock prices, changing uh, economic positions, uh, or any more uh, different scenarios that can lead to any of such changes, and looking at the cause and effect of that is something interesting. And then that money will slowly trickle down to the people who work on Wall Street, the startups that get uh, capital funding, and so on. Interesting. Um, Akshay, do you have um, any, oh, one more thing, um, the atmosphere on Wall Street. Um, can you tell us uh, about the atmosphere of Wall Street, like how it was during your time and like, you know, what has changed? Uh, yeah, of course. The atmosphere is pretty much the same. Uh, people are very goal-oriented. They're always uh, either rushing to a meeting, rushing to get lunch, uh, or just 
like looking at their watch to or their clocks to know that they have to be at their desk at this point especially if you see people who trade on wall street uh sometimes i don't know about all the firms but some firms have assigned like okay on mondays uh, let's say mark will go get lunch for everybody and we will all handle the desk let's say on tuesday sam will go get lunch for all of us things like that it's a pretty uh fu- like uh fun environment most of the times equally stressful and that's why the fun part is necessary for people to just try to somehow build a work life balance but if you go down the chain of this financial services industry where the work is more passive it happens not at a high frequency uh unlike trading and that's when the work starts getting a little more less a uh, little less time bound i would say and people get more time to understand or learn some other things and it's not as stressful uh but anyways if thinking of from a bigger picture point of view i would say managing other people's money is always going to be a sensitive and stressful task so if you're ready for it if you're ready to be always on the go and uh not worry about uh your netflix shows then definitely you need to you will make it great on wall street well wow that is really interesting and um even like during the bad times um has the environment stayed the same or has it changed uh so i haven't seen the previous uh atmosphere that much as to how it was but we keep hearing news of some banks will lay off uh so and so employees from a particular department or uh, uh, maybe some investment management firm will uh, sell off a part of their business because of signs of recession or just cutting employee costs or overheads things like that so that things are pretty common in every business cycle every few years you will see some of the bigger banks or smaller companies any of them selling their businesses selling a few departments laying off employees so if you don't have any other hobby or next best thing that you're good at then you need to really develop something but overall the atmosphere is people get along with life i would say that is really interesting and um actually uh before we go do you have any last things to say to our listeners uh well i would just say that uh everywhere you go every time you read a book every time you talk to somebody uh keep your eyes and ears open talk less and hear more is what a lot of wise people have said to us and that really works so just be alert stay attentive uh you know try to make other people uh happy and be a warm personality so that you attract more people and you are able to also deliver or give your gifts to other people and um, bless the community that's really great to hear akshay thanks for being on the podcast thanks a lot jaseep it was nice talking to you nice talking to you have a great day yeah you too good night bye bye blogspot.com soon we'll be releasing a new article that you'd be interested in um
Kids. Um, this company has been on our radar for quite some time. Um, I might have talked about it on this podcast, might have not. Uh, I can't give too much details, um, but the new blog will be released soon.